and welcome to Risk Chats with A-Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. And today, Tal Seaman and I, my co-host, will be speaking with Craig Bennett. He is the Deputy CFO and the Chief Risk Officer at the U.S. Coast Guard. Craig, good morning and welcome to the podcast. Good morning, Paul. And we also have Tal Seaman here, our co-host. Good morning. Okay, so we're here to talk about the Coast Guard's uh, risk management program. So let's start off with, uh, I think, what's a little bit unique about you all, where, uh, Craig, you are actually the considered the chief risk officer, but you're also the deputy CFO and as well. So Correct. just to talk a little bit about that dual role, you know, does that work for you guys? Or do you envision that being a long-term way that you wanted to do this? So I would say that it's working for us right now. And I, and I tried lightly with the uh, chief risk officer title, the commandant. I mean, the vice commandant designated me as that. Um, and that's primarily due to kind of the legacy stance that in the CFO's office, we own the uh, management control program for the Coast Guard. And so for a number of years, we've been working through the audit and putting in internal controls to get a, an opinion on, you know, the financial statement audit, internal control over financial reporting. In recent years, we've added that. We've added internal controls over operations. Mm-hmm. And we've, we were actually ahead of A123 and trying to get the, uh, the program managers across the Coast Guard, not just the finance and logistics people, to look at look at their program and how they're managing their program. Every program's a business, right? So, right. You, you know, there's existence and valuation property, but other programs, you know, what is your, what's your mission objective? What's your outcome? Mm-hmm. So historically, those kind of big programmatic, the mission risks of the Coast Guard, you know, saving lives, cleaning up oil spills, uh, were, were run by what I'd say was our deputy commandant for operations, the, the three-star kind of over headquarters, the programs for operations for search and rescue and uh, law enforcement at sea and environmental protection, and uh, that was generally managed through the GIPRA process. So, mm-hmm. so they they would have the mission, the big picture mission things that OMB wanted us to achieve, and they would report on on, on that. And that was really, in a way, a risk management process. And now with the new 123, we've got a language that we use in the CFO community. So right. we're kind of trying to bring them in. We're not changing what they do, and really, mm-hmm. operations should own those risks. So that's why I say I tread lightly. I don't want him to think I'm trying to own those risks because right. he's the one that owns that and has to be accountable to the commandant for that. But to the degree we've got processes for, for uh, identifying risks, measuring them perhaps, and then, and then uh, taking action on them mm-hmm. in a vernacular and keeping with A123, we're kind of helping grow it. So do I think it's long term? I think I'm a, I think I'm a placeholder, frankly. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think long term, Risk management should be somewhere, maybe even higher in the organization. Uh, but I think in the interim, uh, being in the CFO shops, working for us to help help get everybody kind of using the same language and the same way ahead. Right. All right. So Craig, you're one of the few uh, agencies in the federal government that get to have their internal controls audited regularly. And yes. thank uh, you, Congress. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in terms of the enterprise risk management program, like you said, it, it, your program kind of grew out of the management controls. So the two questions are: right, Does that does that annual audit on your controls does that actually help, or does that hurt the implementation of VRM in uh, throughout the agency? And the second thing is: You're talking about process. Do you guys have a, an enterprise risk management guide that lays out a framework? that standardizes across mission, mission support, and uh, you know, enterprise level issues, how we do this? So your first question, I think, I think all this process and ERM uh, is helping us in our internal controls. It's, you know, at first we're a little nervous, do, you know, do people really want to be open kimono? 
because if you're, you know, there's a, there's this anxiety out there that if you start talking about your risk, you're just giving the IG next year's work list, right? But mm -hmm. but I think the IGs are sensitive to that and, and working with the agencies. And in our case, it is what it is. So if it's out there, you better be talking about it and looking at it. Otherwise, you you're caught flat-footed later if if you're, you know, if something does happen. So it's been a healthy, I think, evolution in that respect. I don't think it's hurting us. And we're really kind of getting everybody in the organization because because my risk of getting a clean audit opinion versus the operator's risk of saving lives and maybe the logistician's risk of being able to keep you know aircraft flying through so many hours. The challenge is how do you how do you compare those risks and how do you treat them all the same? And so that's where right. yeah. we're kind of getting a common language. So you know, getting your risk tolerance and risk appetite across all those things aligned, mm -hmm. I think, is the aspirational part of where we're moving. But at least we're using the same language and the same processes. We are using our annual statement of assurance process to now to, to get the towels point. Mm -hmm. Second point is the annual statement of assurance process is used to basically come up with our risk register. So mm -hmm. instead of the statement of assurance that the commandant signs off just talking about the risk to the financial statement or our internal control program, right. we're including operational risks in that and those bubble up to the top and it's it's an iterative process each layer you know at the two-star program level then we get to the uh three-star admiral uh deputy commandant for mission support and operations we're, we're kind of the facilitators in the cfo shops i'm not deciding what the risks are they're pushing up their risks and then they meet with the vice mm -hmm. commandant who chairs all this uh, our vice commandant is really the chief operating officer really owns right. the risk i'm just kind of the facilitator on his behalf so we we vet all that and then annually the commandant now is this will be our our second year, the commandant will, with the statement of assurance sign off, include all uh, risks across the board. Mm -hmm. So, actually, going back to that, you know, you do have, you know, obviously your operational risks in there. I mean, everything should be included that makes sense. So, how do you prioritize at the end of the day, get that big list down to a smaller? Like your slides yeah. had 352. Yeah. And like right, they right. say, if it's all important, right. nothing's important. Exactly. Right, exactly. So, so, um, Obviously, being a, an armed force and an operational uh, component with a lot of dangerous activities, flying helicopters, launching ships, usually it's not good weather when you're asked to do that. We've got a culture of risk, I'll, I'll say risk with a little r, risk mm -hmm. management that's embedded in our operational ethos. Right. And so everybody from a, from a junior petty officer to the commandant has lived their career thinking about risk. Uh, doing a little checklist, doing a mental countdown mm -hmm. uh, before they, they get into an operation. So it's kind of in our, our DNA, if you will. Um, to, get, to get that to uh, you know, the big ERM standpoint, yeah. we asked the program. So again, it's not the CFO deciding this or me as the chief risk officer. Right. We, we, uh, we, we work at the program level at headquarters, the two-star program manager. In, in lower levels, the field districts, and even unit commands are doing their own risk thing. But mo for the most part, that's not what we're talking. Mm -hmm. But the program manager is soliciting the field for what are you out there, what, what keeps you up at night, what are your concerns? And at the program manager level, we're using our, our management control processes to educate them. They use those processes, they use those terminologies to come up with their own maybe hundreds of risk items. Within the CFO's office, we've got a, probably 100, our, our own internal work list is done through this risk process. We probably got 150, but only a handful would we push up to a conversation yeah. at the next level above us. So who and does that? Yeah. Do you have a body like a yeah. board that yeah. does that? Is it that's a great question. The, the we facilitate a process as it's moving up from the from the hundreds of risks to get to the, the like I said the 
the commandant signed off on a risk register that had 45 risks that, that were brought to his awareness. So that, that's like your profile. That's your agency That's sort profile. of our agency profile okay. on, on capital okay. ERM. And the board that does that, and this is really important, I think, for the Coast Guard culture and our success, is we call it the, our EMC ARC, which is Executive Management Council uh, Audit, Risk, and Compliance. Hmm. And, and that evolved out of we started a few years ago when we started tackling the audit, and we needed tone from the top. Everybody knows that. And we had that in the Coast Guard. And that's what made us successful more than anything else that we did was tone from the top. So we started an EMC ICARB, which is the Executive Management Council for Internal Controls and Audit Remediation. It was met monthly. It was chaired by our Vice Commandant. Usually we had the CFO of the department that would participate. Mm -hmm. Next to the Vice Commandant were the, the three-star admirals and the two-star program managers that were all at headquarters. They met monthly. And it wasn't driven by the CFO. They were having to, you know, at first CFO, we were doing the briefings and educating people and kind of keeping track of the corrective action plans. But very quickly, we turned this over to the program, the chief information yeah. officer, the chief engineer, the chief of operations. We're briefing the vice on, well, for the audit, you know, here's right. here's the things we're working on. Here's where we're red, green, yellow. And the and the and they and the vice would ask them, do you need resources? Do you what you know? Mm -hmm. Do you need more leadership incentive? So knowing that they had to brief that out kind of lit a fire and made it made it real to everybody, and we made tremendous right. progress. So we've evolved that now. That's good. We're kind of you know, people like that. You know, my, my some of my peers like to say, "Hey, since we passed the audit a few times, can we just take a B in the audit and take those resources <laughs> and put them towards you know operations or airplanes?" And I try to explain it. Tal's laughing. Yeah. Um, it's not quite that easy right. to just take a B and move on. Uh, but but what I like to say is we're kind of up on our skis on the audit. We're moving forward, so we're not. We really don't view ourselves at remediation anymore, but we're at sustainment. And and every year, if you live in the audit world, you know they peel back the onions, and the auditors find more and more stuff. So it actually gets a little more harder in some ways because mm -hmm. you're getting into the stickier stuff, but it's healthy. But we've kind of renamed that board from the ICARB to the ARC uh, audit risk in, in recognition of the ERM aspect right. and, and uh, controls. Yeah, the inside joke was I used to work with Craig. Uh, when we had three disclaimer opinions, we were trying to get the, uh, the momentum rolling towards, towards audit. So I, as he said that, it, it made me laugh. Okay. Anyways. Um, <laughs> it worked. We've had so your success. Yes, and your executives, your executive board is where you sort through to come up with your profile of about 45 risks across operational, mission support, and then entity like reputational and futuristic issues. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I mean, we, we saw in your, uh, you had a presentation at ASMC was it a few weeks ago, right? A couple weeks ago, yeah. Uh, and you meant, and on there, you, you include the black swan. So, you know, that's always a top, something that's of interest to ERM folks. I mean, so you quantify that. That's like, that's like 20 something percent of your risk, you know, concentration. Like, can you explain that a little sure. bit? Sure. So as, as we're doing this dance of bringing the operators over to the, to the dark side of using our language and A123, which is a challenge because instantly, because OMB chose to roll out through A123, and I understand why, because we've been yeah. doing this kind of stuff and drone controls. But it almost instantly gets viewed as a compliance issue, a green eye, green eye. So there's some sort of exactly. almost right. instant resistance. Like, what, Craig, you're just bothering me. It's another thing I got to check the box on. Mm -hmm. But what we're trying to do is explain to the operators, no, this is this is a process. This is what keeps you up at night. So it, mm -hmm. when you talk risk if, if and, and risk management, you've got to identify the risk. You've got to measure it somehow. And then you've got to decide what action you're going to take. Or if you're right. going to accept the risk. Or if you're going to transfer it to somebody else. But mm -hmm. there's all those... Yeah. All those different things you can do with risk. If you're not doing those three things, you're not doing risk management. 
And yeah. if you know you've got bad things that can happen out there, like oil spills and search and rescue and, and law enforcement things, you need to be thinking about that. So we're helping the operators to think about those things mm -hmm. that they've always dealt with, but in terms of using the, the risk management language and the ERM language, mm -hmm. the right. hard part is reconciling, you know, logistic, oh, go ahead, Act. Yeah, just, just stop real quick, because you're, here you're talking about, you you brought in a lexicon to make it common across mission support and mission areas, and, and it looks like you spent some time and effort to do that. How important is it to have a common language for ERM across your agency? Right, so this is where the compliance part comes in a little bit, and I'm still kind of wrestling with it. So I think it's important, and I think it's, it's so far it's been been good. We, we uh, you know, the risk of a major oil spill, like a deep water horizon, who knew you could punch a hole in the floor of the Gulf of Mexico and, and it would run for 90 days and you'd have the, <laughs> the biggest man-made uh, pollution event in the history of the planet. But those things happen. So to your point, tell the black swan comment. Yeah. Those are the really important things that the Coast Guard is always trying to be ready for, right? And so those are things we want to think about. But they're 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 easy to identify. They're a little harder to measure and quantify. They're mm -hmm. very high impact, but they're low probability. So how yeah. much when it comes to your action you can think how many how much resources are we really gonna to push to preparing for another deep water horizon? Right. You know, exactly. or do we need to? versus pushing money towards, you know, making sure we've got enough helicopter parts in the dust bins to keep the helicopters flying if there's another hurricane. So, mm -hmm. so, there's, so, but to your point, Tal, these first two rounds where we're including the operators, about a third of the risks that are relevant for the comment to look at are those big operational risks. So we're still wrestling with maybe the action, what you do, but at yeah, least we're identifying, at least we're trying to quantify. And then the big so what to me is the green eye shade bean counter for the Coast Guard is, is where are we putting our money, right? And right. this is—I think this is really the big so what for ERM at large—is if it's not changing where money goes, why am I wasting my time doing it? Because yeah. to me, ultimately, where the agency is choosing to put its money is where the agency's priorities are. So what I view ERM as a way of helping mm -hmm. have a conversation across the organization, across things as disparate as logistics and operations, and this—we're finding that this is influencing our PPBE process, mm -hmm. right? So we're using. This risk, last year's risk register is used to inform the governance process within Coast Guard headquarters as to what is this year's resource planning guidance that we send out to start prepping for the fiscal year 21 budget build, which we're kind of ramping up for now. Mm -hmm. um, how do we influence that? What, what risks did we identify last year that maybe we're not sure are, we're taking the right action? Either they're not resourced adequately or mm -hmm. we're accepting it, but we're not sure we should. So do we need to take a deeper dive in the, in the budget bill process for 21? Yeah. And that, to me, makes it makes ERM meaningful. So just mm -hmm. to follow up on a black swan, mm -hmm. Craig, how what is, when you guys say this is a black swan, what criteria do you apply so that folks understand this is this fits into that category? And they, it seems like the Coast Guard, part of their job is to be the black swan uh, <laughs> warden uh, out in the maritime environment because when something bad happens, you, you, out, on, out in the sea, whatever it is, the, the spills, the mass migrations, the you know, like, tankers running aground, or, or the- It's like Ghostbusters, who are you gonna call? Yeah, who are you gonna call? Right. So you guys are like right. the black swan people. So how do you define it? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, we're using that categorization as a way of educating, I think, because when you say black swan, senior management kind of understands that. Mm. And that's the stuff they care about. I, yeah. I don't expect the senior operators to care that much about whether I pass it out or not. They know I have to. 
or or and the operators shouldn't be caring too much about how their mission support they know when they need to push the throttle down the cutter should go forward fast and when they pull the what is up, it that, so so black swan <laughs> is i think i think would be, would say is Generally operational, something you is hard to predict. Mm -hmm. A lot of the internal stuff, logistics, we we know we know we know when things are going to break on a helicopter or ship based on op hours and usage and the conditions. But I would say it's the external threats that that you know when are you going to have a migration of, of maybe illegal immigrants coming because of political instability somewhere in in Central America, or when are you going to have a, a big oil spill? We do mm -hmm. routine oil spills all the time, but when are you going to have that big one that requires you to surge all the boom in the nation to a single location to, to respond to it. That's sort of the, the, sort of the big operational things that I would, again, I would say are very high impact, mm -hmm. very low probability. So they may not necessarily have the resources right. in place. So yeah. you've got to dance real quick when they happen and how do you, how do you respond to them? So like more planning, more planning uh, is the, is, is your guys' normal mitigation response to that or? Or, I mean, think about, you know, is it training? I mean, training folks to be able to react to something or is it, I mean, it's not just a big pot of money available for anything. Right. It's for what kind of things? How do you prepare for these things? Or Right. So you know. so the Black Squan notif or, uh, identifier, if you will, that 30% mm -hmm. of our high level yeah. ERM things are identified. That, that, those are identified as really, I would say those are the mission risks operationally. Okay. okay. And then the mitigation things or the action items that we mm -hmm. take to prepare for them, again, by identifying those and making sure on the ERM uh, risk register, mm -hmm. then we can look at them and, and uh, you know we can think about you know do we need to get the training folks involved? Is it a yeah. training? Is it a tra is a problem? We need training, or you need better tactics and procedures, or mm -hmm. or we need better partnerships? You know, there's something where we need to have partnerships with EPA yeah. or D Interior or NOAA to deal with a certain maritime threat. Mm -hmm. Do we need legislation? You know, can identify something mm -hmm. that. The weakness is if we had some different authorities or if we had a different regulatory regime, right. we could manage this. So so all those are the mm -hmm. actions you take to address the risks. So using ERM to look at those black swan things, so it's not a CFO issue, but it's more the programmatic right. issue. And some would say, oh, we're already doing those things. And we are in many respects and doing them well. Yeah. But this kind of brings that world of work and aligns it across. So from a resource standpoint, right. the next dollar on margins going to the most important uh, issue. Well, let's get back to that. So the resourcing and the PPBE, you know, obviously that that sounds like you'd be getting closer to your optimized maturity level, so to speak, of using ERM. So, I mean, today, you know, how would you say to what extent do the, the folks that are making these budget decisions are using the, the, the risk register, so to speak? Or, you know, how does that work today and how do you see things going going forward? So I think we're still in the formative stage. Mm -hmm. I think at the uh, at the staff level. It's, it's, it's growing across the board. People are aware, and because the staff level, we're always worried about all these things. So we're, we're getting common language, and, and uh, throughout the building at Coast Guard headquarters, people are using the language, and we're helping from the from a management control standpoint. We're helping them, you know, if they identify a risk, whether it's an external mission risk or an internal logistics risk, helping them work on how, to, how do you quantify that? How do you put in internal controls to measure mm -hmm. when you're getting out of tolerance for what you said you could accept, whether, you know. So right. so that is kind of happening from the bottom up. Okay. Uh, top down, I think I think it's, it's they pulse in, you know, once a month we have the ARC and people talk about it and then they go back and do their day job. So I think it's gonna be uh, over time, mm -hmm. it's gonna mature, which is why I think over time I could see the chief risk officer evolving from the CFO shop to to somebody maybe in operations and we would mm -hmm. be supporting with the 
kind of the technical side. Well, what right. about OMB examiners and your DHS, uh, Department of Homeland Security budget examiner that you guys formulate budgets with? Are profiles moving up the chain beyond the agency to support formulation? Yeah, so um, I don't know. If, well, I would say it's probably supporting formulation. At least that's the intent. So the A123 requirement that came out last year, last year for the first time, we had to include a risk register in the fiscal year is it 20 budget, maybe it was 1920 budget submission, needed really? to include a risk register, right? So a lot of people are like, and that's when the first discussion's about, <laughs> holy cow, I'm sending yeah. OMB a risk register and the IG's gonna get it and does that just become their their workload? So, yeah. so we kind of- That's fantastic. It, it yeah. is, no, that's that a foresight function. So that's kind of why we're using our existing statement of assurance process, which is tied to the PPBE process, right. reaching out to encompass the operational side of things. And it's, you know, there's, the whole, for everybody, enterprise risk management is, is an evolution. And we're probably just to the left of center of where we think we'd like to be on that evolutionary process. We're, and I would say we're probably ahead of a lot of the federal government in yeah. that respect. Yeah. And that's we're okay with that. I think OMB knows, right. even in Way 23, they knew it was going to be an iterative, just get started. Just start talking about risk. So that, that first risk register is probably going to look very different. It probably had training wheels on it. We probably didn't put it anything that was going to be, you know, cause lightning from the sky to strike us. Right. But we're getting people comfortable with putting things on there. You know, OMB will have that to look at what the de department's uh, funding is, and they'll have all the components risk registers, and OMB can mm -hmm. look and see, does this make sense? And then, the, you yeah. know, the president will have uh, their priorities from an administration standpoint. And then when it goes, you know, I don't know when it goes to Congress if, if OMB will pass that on. I presume they will. So Congress will have that to look at as well. Now you've mentioned OIG twice. <laughs> All right. Now in a lot of agencies, when they have the registers and you have your identification and description and your assessment on there, you know, programs are naturally uh, concerned that this will be the stick that that they are handing OIG to hit, so that OIG can hit them with it. And uh, so that I understand, different programs have language in that 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 uh, determine that program risk registers below the the executive approved profile, everything below it is pre-decisional management information because it changes right. and can change daily. Right. Therefore, it's not subject to FOIA and therefore it's not subject to audit. Do you guys have anything like that in your policy? Have you worked anything out with yeah. DHS OIG? So that's a good point. And I, and I said OIG and not OIG GAO or any of the yeah, other right. acronyms because OIG is, is kind of internal. So OIG GAO, um, we have a good relationship with all of them. We work, I mean, we're a big enough agency. We've got lots of back and forth. We've got lots of audits going at any time. So these concerns relate to both. I said OIG because, to some to your point, what do you share, what do you not share? We follow uh, A A11, which says anything pre-decisional is not subject to external. So from a GAO standpoint, it's maybe a little less threatening because we can always say, this is pre-decisional, so until the budget is submitted, it would, because this information is being used to formulate the budget, it would be too early. The IG, because they're part of the administration, can actually see pre-decisional stuff. Sure. So they that's why it. I use yeah. them. So there is that, there's that risk of them seeing it or taking action on it. So, but we, sh we share it. Now we, we're only going to send them the stuff at the commandant's level, because that's where the decision's been made on that year's uh, budget sure. where it's being made, and we'll share that with the IG. Um, and I think it's an evolving kind of relationship between the oversight bodies. But I would say both GAO and IG have been very careful about helping the, helping the agencies feel comfortable that they're not putting themselves 
you know, so the conversations can still mm -hmm. be candid and honest and open. Otherwise, yeah. it'll yeah. shut down. Yeah, I would say at the staff level, you know, there's conversations that my staff has with OMB or GAO or The Hill that I don't need to know are taking place. It's just a healthy dialogue about what's going on. If we did this, how would you react? Right. So there's a lot of communication that, that takes place there that's really, I think, healthy for operating government. All right, so as a leadership tool, a written risk appetite statement hmm. by different categories of risk to guide agency leaders in accepting risk or being more aggressive or ambitious in their program performance. Uh, how, where are you guys at on a written risk appetite statement? Where do you see that going? So that's a great question because we do not have a written appetite statement. And I rest the whole risk tolerance and then the risk mm -hmm. appetite. Because mm -hmm. I would say in the federal government, especially in an armed force or a response law enforcement entity, whatever appetite I say, as soon as that black swan event happens, we had too much appetite, right? We're going <laughs> to get blamed for accepting the risk if something really bad happens. So, so it's hard to come up with that appetite. TSA did come up with a risk appetite, and it's a... a a firm uses it, um, and it's a good example. I think we would like to get there, but we're probably a couple of years from having a good risk appetite. Um, but what I do tell our program managers is, you know, we start, you know, to, when they start looking at me with as, as a green eye shade guy and about compliance, I point out that the the new requirement, you know, we're we're required to attest to in the statement of assurance effective and efficient operations, uh, compliance with all laws and regulations. So that's not just financial stuff; that's mm -hmm. that's operational stuff and reliable reports. How do you demonstrate your reliable reporting? It doesn't say reliable financial reporting anymore. It says reliable reporting. So any report a program does to IG, to GAO, annual reports to the public, that's a report. And so the, the, quest, the, quest, the, the fair question back is, how do you know what you're putting in that report is accurate? So that's where the internal control program processes that we have can help programs to point to say, this is how I know the information I'm using is, is valid, is correct is repeatable and whether or not I'm in tolerances. But to articulate what those tolerances are, we've got a ways to go. Not on paper yet. Not on paper <laughs> yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I was curious a little too about um, just kind of the monitoring activities you do. So you know, you get your risk profile and all that together. You're meeting every month, you said, basically? Actually, we're going bi-monthly now. Bi-monthly? Okay. A little more mature, yeah. Okay, so that, I mean, what, you know, how do you guys monitor and you know, keep, keep these things fresh and that you are taking actions on these things? So all the way down at each level, you know, the, the commandant annually is signing the statement of assurance in those conversations. Uh, the bi-monthly meetings with the vice commandant, mm -hmm. the, the programs are showing him if they're red, yellow, green on certain, like say, corrective action plans or, okay. or things yeah. that they're addressing, uh, for, whether it's for audit compliance or for now risk risk management, we'll, we'll be doing that. Right. And then below that, we have, at the, like I said, the uh, 06 GS15 level, we have monthly uh, SAP meetings where people sit down and talk about these things and then each headquarters office like for instance in the CFO's office we we uh, for my office chiefs and their deputies we meet routinely throughout the year to talk about our our business plan our business plan is basically our our risk register inside okay. the office and and we each of them you know each of the things that they're facing that's a challenge do they choose to accept that do they have a mitigation plan are they trying to fix it what are they yeah. what are the, what's the corrective action plan to right. To improve it, so we're we uh, on an ongoing basis within the office do that. So, okay, well, uh, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate. It. I think we got a lot of great insights, and uh, yeah, thanks again for coming out. We appreciate it. Paul Tal, it was my pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks to AGA and everything you do for the financial management community, the government.
But why does it just have to be so much fun to talk about risk management? It's just not fair. <laughs> it excites me. I don't know if it excites everybody else, but glad to be here, guys. All right, Thank you. Yep. Well, that's our show. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. We have many more podcasts coming up in the next few months. So tune right back in at afirm.org. And you can also suggest uh, speakers and guests. We're happy to take your suggestions and uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing from you. And this is Paul Marshall signing out for Risk Chats with Afirm. Mm-hmm.